Okay, guys, I, I really did not plan on going this deep into this series on dopamine because we have so many research reviews on motivation and goal acquisition and all those great social psych and, and personal psych topics. But by the end of this, I'm going to show you why I'm kind of drawn to this almost more than the biochemistry part. So what I what I did find, I, I, I did want to find something a little bit more practical because the first two episodes that we did here were on some of the mechanisms from from a neurophysiology standpoint and then how we can kind of craft that in terms of being on the edge knowing that dopamine is going to decrease as your calorie deficit and that's going to make you probably more impulsive and seek more novelty and get a little restless because your your brain just doesn't feel the normal internal drive and then in the, the first part of this series, we, we talked about how the th there is a tension between positive and negative goal seeking, negative consequences, positive, hopeful things that you're looking forward to attain. So all of that, I'm not going to rehash. That's in the first two episodes. But this gets into a little bit more how-to uh, information, especially uh, because it, it tackles a little bit of a, of a, of a parallel in the positive versus negative in that should you focus more on just the skill, the how-to aspects of dieting properly, you know, we all like to say we, we're, we're evidential and, and science-based, but then you have the people who say, no, it's, it's all about the, the internal movement, the, the, the psychology, the motivation, which I don't disagree with, but I found a study that really contrasts that directly. And it was pretty pretty impressive. So uh, this I, I found in, you know, one of the, the seminal journals in the entire world is Nature. And, and this was was published there as well as the International Journal of Obesity. So so a lot of heavy hitters looking at this one in terms of just peer review. Uh, but let's let's dig in here. And I'm going to show you I, I also pinned a second study on the back end of this just just briefly to show you a little bit of an extension. But this particular study, they um, did I say that right? Let me see that. Oh, yeah, the first one. Yeah, this was the first one. So, so the second one was was this motivation and and weight loss. That this is so this this one is is study number two. Just I'm going to push this to the side. Journal of Nutrition, Education, and Behavior. That's what we're going to talk about at the very end. So in this in this first study we're going to look at, they actually interviewed a couple thousand people to uh, to see who who might fit this study. They ended up with 338. Um, interestingly, another thing that I want to put to the side it, because it really has nothing to do with this study. These were 338 women who were incontinent, and the reason they they chose this study group. They were particularly looking at, I mean, this is an organization, the um, Program to Reduce Incontinence Through Diet and Exercise, PRIDE. Uh, they're looking for ways to, to help people who are overweight and incontinent and, and have those kind of pelvic floor issues to, to see how they can be helped through nutrition exercise. So again, has nothing to do with incontinence. It's not it doesn't even come up in this study because what they really wanted to see is can people lose weight better with a focus on psychological maintenance or skill maintenance? 
So, so keep those two things in mind, even though that was the study group. So 338 women, 19% minority, at least 30 years old, average was 53. Uh, pretty high BMI, 36 as a BMI is going to be somebody who is, you know, as a female, probably around 200 pounds. So um, here, here's what I liked about this particular setup as a methodology. They had all 338 women go through the same six-month diet phase. They wanted to, to get everybody on board with a proper, what I'll call proper, weight loss program. Then for the next year, months 7 through 18, they wanted to do a novel motivation intervention. So focusing on how can we psychologically keep people motivated. So we're pinging that dopaminergic reward system versus just, just continuing to uh, fortify and work on the actual skills of dieting. And I'll show you some breakdowns of, of how those two looked. But they, they, they also had a control group. So out of those 338 women, divide that into three and you get the 112, 113, 113. The control group, they also went through the same six months of weight loss and they they were given the same opportunities for just follow-up support, but they weren't given those two direct, very high stimuli groups, one getting novel motivation support and one getting the ongoing skill support. So I hope that makes sense so far as uh, as the, the base. So you have, have all 338 women dieting for six months, then all three groups one, the control kind of left to their own devices, and then one being just psychologically supported in the realm of motivation, the other in, in skill. So here, here's what the education control group did, uh, meaning that the this was just the control group. They they had their six-month weight loss programming and, and all of that, and then they just went through uh, and, and they were given follow-up reinforcing uh, sessions on physical activity, healthy eating habits, weight loss, structured protocol. Here's what you could be doing. And it was all based on the, the diabetes prevention program in the look ahead lifestyle intervention model. Just very, very classic, good uh, dietetic type programs. Uh, so that was it. Just, just normal education support. So then the study groups, both of them, uh, and and the the first group, the control group, they actually all went through this plan where they were given slim fast type products. I'm, I'm I just think they picked one you know type of diet and and wanted to make it easy. So they decided we're going to give you two meals and one snack that's that's replaced. They were also giving them a, a progressive exercise program, 200 minutes a week. Uh, they were given all of the behavioral skill training of, of self-monitoring, stimulus control, problem-solving, assertiveness training, social support, goal-setting, cognitive restructuring, and relapse prevention. So that was all part of that. Some of these, I, I hope you recall from previous research reviews, things like assertiveness training and why that can be helpful in just owning your own social environments and, and making sure that you aren't just being kind of pushed around in terms of people putting things in front of you and, and wanting you to, to consume foods and all that, you know, you being okay, saying, no, that's not what I do. 
I'm, I'm actively trying to lose weight and improve my health, or I'm, I'm in this maintenance phase and that kind of thing. So relapse prevention, cognitive restructuring, a lot, a lot of great stuff. This, this study, and I think that's why it even went in the Journal of Nature, was extremely well done. And I'm going to show you a huge chunk of it that I'm not even going to go over, but I just want to point out how well the study was conducted. But, but I do think it was interesting that in their weight loss model, they weren't comparing what the best way to lose weight is. They were comparing what's the best way to maintain, which is always the, the biggest prize for somebody losing weight. We all tend to be able to lose some weight, and typically we lose it very well. What we have a problem with is regaining it. So for them to just choose a six-month plan that includes slim fast as three meal replacements per day is pretty much neither here nor there. They just wanted to get these people down the road six months having lost weight and then compare the two interventions for maintenance. Now, I, I will admit how you lose weight does have some bearing on, on how you're going to maintain, obviously, but all 338 people went through the same process. So that, that kind of washes out some of that variability. So in the study groups, once they have all lost weight, the two study groups, both skill-directed and, and psychological support-directed, had biweekly meetings with exercise physiologists, dietitians, nurses, and psychologists. The goal was to maintain at least 10% weight loss. So if the average female here was 200 pounds, you're talking about you know, let's let's make sure that if you've lost more than 20 pounds or so in that six months, that we maintain that. You know, we want to see that you've maintained at least 10% of your weight loss of your of your weight lost, not weight loss. Um, they had self-monitoring journals. Their exercise goal was still to maintain 200 minutes a week. They were allowed to have meal replacement coupons. So, hey, if that worked for you in the past, we'll, you can still have a couple of those a day. Um, so, so that was available to them. That, that's an interesting part of a lot of research that we've gone over in our research reviews is how ongoing support is offered. And it comes up again here in that certainly people had the opportunity to just not, not be involved, you know, in these biweekly meetings. And so th this is mentioned, there, there is some correlation to how many people did or did not show up with good attendance. So here is the skill-based maintenance program. This is this is what we do on a technical side. If you work with a coach like me or Kevin or, or anybody in our company, then we really love to hit the technical stuff, especially first. You know, here is what we need to do. Uh, here's here's how we're going to lose weight. Here's how we're going to approach this. Here's what's happening physiologically in your body. All those important things. But now when you're talking about maintenance moving forward after that, they these people, the, the, the exercise physiologists, dietitians, nurses, psychologists, with the skill-based group, they were teaching them new skills that would be important for maintenance, not just weight loss, like reversing small weight gains, improving body image and self-esteem, expanding exercise options. Um, reviewing and refining some behavioral skills, problem solving, goal setting, social support, relapse prevention. So those are obviously very behavioral, but that's still tied to skill. 
That's that's not motivation. That's skill development. So so that's that's that one study group. So we have the control group that's out there on their own. Everybody's lost weight and control groups just doing what they want to do. The skill-based group meeting bi-weekly, and they're covering things like this. We're just hammering home, you know, tactics and strategy and technique and things you're going to need to know. Now, on the motivation focus group, they were not getting that information. They were not getting the how-to information. They were getting discussions on increasing and sustaining motivation, strategies based on theories and methods to strengthen satisfaction with progress. We've talked about that in our research reviews, your your contentment, life satisfaction, life contentment. So cultivating an identity, we did an entire series on that, cultivating an identity as a successful weight loser, uh, eliciting personal motivations for engaging in long-term behavior change efforts and supporting autonomous self-regulation, developing an enriched array of non-food related reinforcements and self-care activities to increase motivation to engage in non-food related activities. So you guys have all heard a lot of the movements and focus on intuitive eating in culture now, especially diet culture. And that a lot of that is tied to this. So we're not going to specifically, if we went back one slide, talk about all these tactics on if this, then that, like do this. Here, here are all your tools to work on the things that might arise. Here, they're focusing on things other than that, you know, the very psychological, just motivational type things that don't necessarily have a lot to do with food directly. So those are the three groups. We've They've all lost weight after six months, which I should have here in the next slide. Yep. So the zero to six months, that was the active weight loss phase, both study groups lost almost eight full percent of their body weight, so an average of 17 pounds. The control group, which were not getting those direct interventions, but they were getting the general education, like I said, the diabetes prevention program and, and look ahead. So they lost about three pounds. So there's there's already something to discuss. When you're getting active counseling of some sort, active coaching, active support, here's what's really interesting because it literally was exactly 7.98% lost for both the motivation group and the skill group. Each group lost the exact same amount. The control group, which wasn't getting that much work, just general education, they still lost three pounds, but over six months, not exactly, you know, killing it. So then the important part of the study, first of all, let, let me let me back up one more time. I think this is this also creates some credibility for this study in the fact that since they wanted to get all three groups through this weight loss phase to then study what they wanted to study in the maintenance phase, the 12-month the maintenance phase, to literally get there with the exact same weight loss, I think really shows that you're now set up to have a really good comparison. Because now you're gonna you're gonna see exactly how each group takes off with just these two interventions. So in the six to eight months, so or seven to 18 months afterwards. Uh, so now it's just the maintenance phase. The skill-based group uh, gained 
almost six pounds. The motivation group gained almost six pounds. And here's an irony. The control group, they actually lost a little bit. So the people who weren't getting any intervention, they didn't do nearly as well in the active weight loss, but they kind of still trickled onward to a little bit of, of, of an extra loss. So let's talk for a second about just diet fatigue, perhaps. And we, we mentioned in a research review a couple of weeks ago that around the six to eight month mark, any dieter undergoing any diet method kind of starts to reach a shelf life. It gets a little tough to keep going if you're not creating intentional diet breaks and in some ways to maybe press pause and just refocus a little bit, stop to sharpen the ax, so to speak. So for the groups that were really active and getting all this education, and then there was a little bit of a sigh of relief. Okay, that that's over. That part of the study's over. Now we're just going to do this maintenance stuff. They started regaining a little bit. And yet the group who was very nonchalant, you know, they they kept going. So little little something to be learned there, perhaps. Um, so now look at the actual entire span, six months included of active dieting plus the the twelve month in maintenance. The skill based lost eleven and a half pounds. The motivation group lost eleven and three quarter pounds, and the control group you know, still right about that 3% mark. So the entire analysis and discussion of this study wasn't necessarily to say one is better than the other. It was to see if this type of motivational work could stand up. Does Is there anything there? And in fact, when you look at it, and I think this was a big part of their discussion. Let me let me skip ahead a little bit here. I'm gonna, I'm going to come back to this in a second. Just as discussion points, the researchers decided. You know, we didn't really prove that one is is clearly better and superior, and so that should be what we do. It's just that the motivation focused outcomes, when you really want to hit that, it does provide an attractive alternative. So maybe some people don't get into the science quite as much or they don't respond to the technical, but they really feel like that intuitive eating, let's just let's just work on you. Let's just work on the psychological behavioral components of things that aren't necessarily food related. And if we can improve that and square that away, what they proved in this study was that can have just as much effect as real technical how-to diet methodology and skill building. Another thing that they mentioned that I thought was was really uh, good of them was the skill-based outcomes, the people who were working on that, did reflect the best practices of known obesity treatment clinical trials. So they, they just wanted to kind of point out that even the technical aspects of our weight loss programming like that was all completely in line with the bell curve of what we would want any obesity treatment to do. So that whole uh, diabetic prevention programming, that look ahead programming, you know, all of that really worked well. And they said for 338 particular subjects who were filtered out of a couple thousand and 
I think the average age was in the mid 50s, BMI of about 36. Even if you did just that skill work and, and you saw how detailed that was with cognitive restructuring and identity work and so forth, that was good. Like th that's all important. That helps. But put all that on the shelf for a minute. And this kind of mental non-food related stuff also works. The interesting thing is they could have used maybe a fourth group and done both. Like how great would that have been to show that, that, you know, some, somebody that had all of that together might have exceeded, you know, exponentially, but, but who knows, you know, they, they didn't study that. So maybe something for future study. Uh, another note they had was uh, in this, this I think is, is a really interesting side note, greater attendance, meaning people were getting more support, more input in the skill-based group, the technical how-to diet information equated to greater losses. Not so in the motivation group, meaning that that motivation group, they were gaining quality enough intrinsic autonomous skill building that it just kind of paid off that they didn't even have to come to those sessions as often because they were learning self-regulation and self-motivation intrinsic motivation so the people on the skill building side that weren't getting that extra motivational psychological support if they stopped coming to the meetings they didn't do as well as a coach I think that's very important because we want independence. We want clients to end up in a place where they they can enjoy life and not worry about relapsing and a high recidivism rate. So that certainly points out to, again, using a tandem approach, which, of course, is how we've built our company around the technical how-to science-based work, as well as the reason why more than half of our research reviews are always in this realm of behavioral work. Now let's go back here for a second because I, I said I wanted to show you how detailed this study was that we're not even going to talk about. So th the data that I pulled out in those summaries is from right here. So just going into all the numbers of percentage of weight loss as well as pounds or kilos of weight loss. But then one of the things that I'm not even extrapolating for you guys because it's just not relevant to what we're discussing is that in the motivational training itself, they broke it down into some of these, these skill acquisition components and, and based on different psychological surveys used commonly in research, they, they looked at different qualifying levels, you know, what, what, what different, different subjects, if, if they, you know, excelled in some areas, how much better they did with their weight loss and so forth. So, even down here again, which I, I just love this category, weight loser identity, because I'm so big on uh, all of us creating an identity that's more useful for us. You know, the stories we tell ourselves, the the self-talk, whether it's positive or negative, so much of our reality is just what we choose it to be based on how we think of ourselves and speak about ourselves. So part of their study on the motivation side was working on that identity component. So anyway, we're not going to go into that, but but it's there if you're interested. So now real quick, because I wanted to leave a lot of time, I, I do plan on this being the last episode in this series. Um, 
this was just one of the studies that I read and and picked through as a contender to talk about today. And even though I'm not going into this one deeply, it it was they made a really good discovery and and point here. So I'm not even going to go deep into the study itself. I'm just going to give you kind of a summary. But this was very this was all questionnaire based, online, web based. They did have a face to face initial consult, and then these people would would check in weekly with with the surveyor, and and there there were follow ups and so forth. I'm sure you guys have all been things like that, like the Census Bureau, you're just having to update things. Uh, but the goal of the study was to to look at adherence to self-monitoring and weight loss. So it was intentionally independent without all of the meetings and all of the specialists and the professionals feeding into people's skill building. They wanted to give them programming guidelines and then study the actual ability of people to adhere to it and monitor their own progress. So 66 women, um, I'm not giving you the exact things here, but you know the whole gamut of age and BMI, probably somewhere right there in the middle. I had this information, I just didn't include it for you. And then here were there's results. Autonomous motivation increased and remained high for those who achieved a 5% weight loss Autonomous motivation increased, but then declined for those who did not achieve a 5% weight loss in this 16-week study. Now, the, the graphs here tell the tale a little bit more interestingly. So the autonomous motivation group on the top versus the controlled motivation group on the bottom uh, in the 16 weeks in the program. So those who who were high achievers had intrinsic levels of motivation that were, you know, just, just part of the, this survey, they exceeded in, in weight loss. You can see they were above 5% uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, above five on the motivational level on that particular type of survey. Um, that's how they qualified them in that group. So, so you see, you know, a, a mirror effect here of the two different groups, but then here's, here's the important part of this study. If in either group, either group, if you lost 5% of your of, of weight, you lost 5% of your body mass and weight, look at that green line on the top. Those people sustained their motivation. They continued to lose. If you did not lose 5%, then you tended to trickle off. And then even in the group, with, I mean, the high motivation group on the top and the low motivation group on the bottom showed the exact same result. So whether you have a high regard of intrinsic motivation or or you don't have quite as much intrinsic motivation, if you didn't get off to a good start, I'll put it that way, if, if you were not seeing the results that you necessarily wanted that would keep you interested – then things started to decline. And the reason this is important, I, I talked to a lot of our NAMS coaches. We, we have a certification program, the National Academy of Metabolic Science. And throughout the week, I spent a good portion of my time helping them with exam preparation, going through the curriculum. I, I will uh, give detailed analysis of practice case studies. And then for their final exam, a very thorough analysis of their real practical case studies. 
And the first block of our work together with those case studies with clients is to create the most appropriate energy balance, meaning how much food calorie levels are you going to put these particular clients on? And clients could range from 20 years old to 70 years old, all kinds of occupations. I intentionally put different challenging demographic nuance in there to see if the the coaching students are paying attention. And one of the things that I often see is that a lot of coaches start kind of high calorically. Like for example, let's say I have a 55 year old female who is retired and she has had a hip replacement surgery, maybe has hypothyroidism, is pretty sedentary. And we know what a certain caloric balance might be for that demographic. And I'll see coaches who, who want to start that client with a really high amount of food, partly because of liability and concerns. And maybe I just don't want this person to suffer. I don't want to make somebody hungry unduly. And I have to tell them, you know, when a, when somebody's just starting to lose weight in a structured program, they, they are often motivated a lot. They've, they've hired you as a coach. Uh, they're ready to make some really good changes. So they're probably increasing hydration. They're improving the quality of their food sources. They may be focused on consistency of meal timing. And so a lot of these variables are improving all at once in physiologically, they feel great. Some clients will say based on even a, a modestly low amount of food, like I just can't eat that much. I'm too full. And if a coach has a client too high in food, imagine this scenario. Client A moves along week one, week two, they're not really losing anything. They're working hard. They're doing what their coach says and they're not losing. And then the coach is surveying some things, analyzing some things, and then has to start taking food away. And now you're three, you're four weeks into this programming. And even if you don't have a coach, maybe it's just you doing some things on your own and you're just not getting anywhere. And now all of a sudden you're having to, after what you think is pretty hard work, start taking food away, reducing food. It's easy to lose momentum. It's easy to lose interest. It's easy to be frustrated. Whereas if you can start with a faster pace, especially when your motivation is very high, the physiological support of your metabolic capacity is at its highest. All of these things are improving in how you quantify and execute your food intake. That, that's when you can probably withstand a little bit sharper of a deficit. And a lot of diets have classically even planned what they call an induction phase two weeks where it's actually really hard, almost like a boot camp level, and then they increase food in some way. So th this really supports that, that there is real psychological resilience to getting a good start and feeling like you're having some self-efficacy, things are happening the way you want. And that that just creates more internal motivation. It builds that internal reward muscle, so to speak. So I just wanted to throw that in there because even though I, I didn't, you know, it wasn't on its own merits enough to warrant an entire research review, it does show that something even as little as speed, initial speed, can affect the dopaminergic mesolimbic reward system in your brain. 
All right. I think we just we just finished that in like record time. That was only 30 minutes. So I, you guys get to talk a lot more than me this week. So let me unshare my screen here and give you guys a chance to jump in and ask any questions or make any comments you want. But my 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 takeaway after this, first of all, confirms the fact that that me as a coach and what I teach our coaches is to, of course, work on the skill building and all of the technical knowledge of proper physiology and weight loss, but also all of these things we keep coming back to in terms of intrinsic motivation and goal acquisition and goal pursuit, like that all matters. You can even put the technical stuff on the shelf and only work on the psych part and still get phenomenal equal results. So let's do both. Let's let's work on both. And I think I think we'll always have the best outcomes. Any uh, any thoughts or questions? I, I think Tony there is unmuted. Yeah, Go ahead. I have one, Joe. Um, sure. And again, I absolutely agree what you're saying since I've just been on this program and uh, with the aggressive diet that you sent me psychologically, knowing that I'm working with you and um, what's ahead, it's it's motivated me. So the diet really, I mean, I've been excited about it. However, question for you, I work three nights a week up until like eight or nine. So I kind of sent you a, a little email before, but um, is that okay to mix in my dinner and my last snack at 8.30 at night? Again, still you know, consuming the exact diet that I'm on, but again, I have no choice because I cannot eat when I'm working at the golf course. So my question is, would that hurt me or should I modify my diet towards that dinner and last snack? Great, great question. And um, there are two ways to approach this, at least two ways. And I, I think as your initial contrast, for anybody who gets to the end of the day, whether it's because of work in your situation, or maybe they just weren't quite as hungry, it, it is a common question to say, well, is, is it the total energy balance of the day, the macronutrient profile? Should I just pile that food in, even though I wasn't hungry, or maybe I'm going to bed in an hour or two. And the answer is no, you can, you can certainly just have a little bit more modest amount of food for that day and end up a little bit under your, your calorie targets, as long as you feel okay. Uh, right. if, if, if you're super, super, super hungry, then over time, when you're looking at weight loss and food consumed in a week or a month interval instead of just a day, you see that those 24-hour marks aren't necessarily the biggest deal. So I, I would say, you know, on a night that you are famished, you know, feel free. Uh, okay. a, a lot of a lot of people ask this question related to even training. Like I train at eight o'clock at night, and I'm I'm going to bed at ten, but I know now I have all that catabolic activity. I've and I need to recover. So but I'm not, you know, quote, supposed to eat a lot of food right before bed. And that's when I would say, well, maybe it's not the best to eat a ton before bed, but you just trained excessively hard. So that's kind of a caveat to that. So a right. couple, couple ways to approach it for sure. Okay. All right. Thank you. But we'll, we'll talk about that too, one-on-one, -on -one, Tony, as you go, and we can experiment a little bit and see okay. how you feel. And if there's any way on those days where – even if it's just sneaking a little extra snack in early, mm -hmm. you know, it's not part of your normal day, but on those nights, maybe you do just find a way to get a little bit in more. Early. Right. And I guess the positive with that though, is I'm constantly on the go walking, you know, lifting and all that. So, so it's not a sedentary job. So um, that kind of, I guess that's kind of a plus 
at this point. But yeah, yeah, look forward to talking with you some more on that. Exactly. Great question. And that's that's the whole thing is just communicating as we go and seeing what okay. works best for you. Sounds good. Good deal. Yeah. Jen, are you jumping in? Good to have you here, Dr. Souders. I am jumping in. I have to leave uh, fairly soon, but um, yeah, busy morning today. It's kind of crazy. What I was really curious about was the, um, it, I thought it was really interesting with that control group um, where they continued to trickle down on their weight loss at 18 months. And really what what spiked my interest was 18 months. Is that really, I mean, is that really a, a telling point? I would have been curious to know how it went if you followed people out further. Um, because, you know, the, the risk there is looking as though, um, you know, it, it could be that those people had a weight loss, they regained some, but then they sustained at a longer, lower level. Or was it just that they were failing? And if you'd have followed them to 24 or 36, you know, would they have, would they have wound up worse? Because we know about the, the yo-yo effect. Um, and I'm not sure what's really the best way to, um, to deal with this with clients when they, you know, when they, when they get their wings and they've achieved and people have been working with them for a long time and they've gotten, you know, a lot of both skill building, education, uh, tools, motivation. I mean, is, you know, is, is it reasonable or, or uh, would it not be potentially good practice to, um, as a coach, consider like a one-year follow-up um, with a former client to see how things are going um, and maybe, you know, stave off problems before they get too far out of hand. I, I, I'm just curious about what your thoughts on that. Yeah. Wow. A lot of great questions. So it, I have been surprised at some studies that do go out as this one did 18 months. We did a research review on one that ha even had a two year follow up. And I think beyond that, you're really into a longitudinal study, like the Harvard Happiness Review, 85 year study, yeah. you know, and it's just like that is that, that's just a that's a whole beast in itself. That's an entire generational epoch. Um, but then I also think of the University of New Zealand, the, the Institute of Technology, where Dr. Helms used our mm -hmm. client base to do a couple different studies and the the clients who do, did the best long-term, technically the best with weight loss maintenance, as well as their report of it qualitatively, you know, they said the, the coaching, the connection, the, the deep relationship building that they, they received is exactly the primary driver for their long-term success. And so you bring up almost a, an entrepreneurial perspective of then how to do that. You know, how do you, well, that was kind of the point of my question, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, a sneaky little devil. <laughs> and, 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 you know, that, that is a business model question. Yeah. Which, and I, and I tell our coaches all the time, I, you know, I made the mistake 25, 30 years ago, thinking that it would be really clever to have kind of a business mantra that we don't want repeat business. Like if, if, if you ever come back to us, we failed, we want you one done, you know, successful and get out there into the world. And in fact, we all do need a community of support and we need to be connected to like-minded people who share those same values, including health maintenance. And so I think it's really important to have a method for that where, you know, whether it like, like in my facility, I mean, most of the clients who come to see me, they've been here for years and years and years, and they don't ever plan on leaving. 
Uh, it's not just let's right. do some weight and move on. So I, I think they're from the client side, the weight loser side, as well as whoever they're connected to professionally. I think there should be some great mechanisms for ongoing support for sure. Yeah, I would I would think that if if a situation like yours, which is sort of unique, uh, is possible for for certain coaches in certain areas, you know, having that active connection of active weight losers. Um, along with long-term successful weight losers would be an outstanding means of continuing both, you know, role modeling as well as education and motivation. For sure. For sure. And, and I love doing that. Like I'm about ready to drag two of my current clients with me to a martial arts class. And like, we do fun stuff like that together. It, even in our facility, I've talked about this all the time, you know, our clients get to know each other and pretty soon you see them after workouts and so forth, after classes, talking to each other and making social plans. And so they're increasing their web of social support. All right. I got to hop off. This was awesome. Thank you for, thank Thank you you for having me in and letting me flap my gums for a few minutes. I'll uh, follow up with you later. Have a good day. All right. Dr. Brunacini, take it from here, buddy. See you, Jen. See ya. For those of you who don't know, Dr. Souders, who just exited, she is our medical director of, of our company. So uh, phenomenal person. Love having her contribution. Go ahead, Kevin. What do, you, what do you got? I can't help to not mention my project and what was created from the assessments. I would love to take that step forward, to take a step further with, I know Jen and I spoke, I know three of us have spoken over the past years of how we would love to have not only the data from just long-term success of clients from certainly a selfish marketing reason, but to her point, just to have that touch point of, of support, even if we're not actively, even if they're not active clients of ours, but just to have assurance of, you know, one year, two years, four years, et cetera, just have that built-in touch point of how are things going and sort of creating our own weight loss registry of hopefully success, but just what are those skills and what's, no different than primary care. Just we're we're here to have another discussion point. What can we do to help? What's going well? What isn't? And just altruistically offer some suggestions if that's needed. If they want to, if they need it. But in the least, just the data would be extremely helpful. And I would love to. Again, I know we've talked about this, but I would love to have that as a some type of system for for us as as a company to start that but to start going through that rolodex every year whatever the frequency would be i'm I'm smiling because i'm thinking i would love that and i know a guy who would be perfect at heading that up (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly i mean you, you literally created that that tool in your doctoral dissertation and now that we're retooling the company a bit and austin kiergaard is coming on as our full-time dietetics director uh, all of the things that we want to do with the Flexible Dieting Institute as our outreach arm of the company, the diet. Di- I mean, that's that is perfect, Kevin. I, I've always said that we need to use your assessment tool more. And as Jen was describing, literally create programming opportunities around that. You know, be- besides right. something like this, besides the two times a week we meet for live support chats for clients, what else can we offer for? successful, as Jen said, clients who have their wings and they've met their goals, 
we're we're not just staying connected, but we're really doing something positive for those people. Fun fun times yeah. ahead. Yeah, we'll we'll talk more, but um, I know it'll happen. See, I mean, as I I always say that, man. After after doing this for thirty years, I I feel more excited about my career than ever, and our company and the things that we we are yet to accomplish. So, jump in, Amanda. Good to see you. Hey guys, how's how's Germany? Uh, it's Germany. <laughs> Seems like you guys are having a blast, man. I see all of your family posts and stuff. It's great. Yeah, it's 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 winter in Germany right now, so it's kind of like sucky. It's just really rainy, but um, and it's and I wish I could get on these calls more often. Um, this last three weeks, I was doing the CrossFit Open thing at the gym over here, so. Um, the time was conflicting and it's always like, it, it's what, eight o'clock over here at seven 30. Um, so yeah, it's just the time conflicting, but, um, I yeah, kind of wanted to touch on a little bit of what I think her name was Dr. Saunders, Saunders mm-hmm. which yeah, what she had to say was really good. I mean, I liked that, um, you know, reaching back to people who you've kind of already, you know, oh, they, they've, they've spread their wings and moved on. Right. And that kind of hit home for me because I felt like, you know, like I accomplished what I, what I was aiming for. And at this point in my life right now, especially being in Europe, it's, it's so it's way harder nutritionally to stay on track than it was in the States. And people are always like, what, how is that possible? It's like, I, the, the, the physical part, getting to the gym, working out, that's so easy for me. Like I enjoy doing that. I love getting my pump. I, I love doing cardio. It's after when I'm just like, my friends are like, Hey, let's go on this wine market tour. And like, when I tell you the alcohol out here is like flowing, they might as well just give it away for free. I mean, like I could go buy a bottle of wine for like $3. It's just like, this is insane. So it got to a point where I was like, okay, I just need to stop. And the, you, if you go out to a restaurant, you try to enjoy yourself, you know, with your friends and your family and kind of what you were talking about, Joe, you know, like setting those, um, those standards of like, no, I am not doing this. I am just, I'm trying to lose weight. I'm trying to stay on track that works into a certain point because if you go to a restaurant and you tell your German waiter, Hey, can you substitute this? Or can I only have this? They look at you like you're fucking crazy. Like, (laughs) no, we can't put the dressing on the side. (laughs) Like you can't, it's already in there. Like it just makes life a lot harder out here. And so I don't know. I feel like for me, I'm doing well because I've gone through all of the like nutrition. I, I've learned everything that I needed to learn to get myself down and, and, and to um, know how to work out and do the whole thing. Like I've done that. I know what I needed to do, but being out on my own and what, like I've been, what, how long has it been? Almost a year um, since I started the, um, the comp prep from last year. I don't know. I just feel very like I'm not where I thought I would be. Hmm. Well, you, you... I, 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 and it's hard to, cause I know I shouldn't compare myself to other people, but I do. And 
there's this part of me that's like, well, I should have done this, but here's where I am. And I just kind of like, I tell myself, well, it's okay because you're just, you got to live your life. You have to be happy. Like there has to be like that medium. And that's kind of where I'm at as a client right now, being that far out from my accomplished goal. <laughs> and I don't know if I'll ever do it again. I tell myself I want to, I definitely want to compete again, but whenever I come out of that comp prep, I always get down on myself and it's such a crazy mind game. Um, when you start to gain that weight back. So, and that's why maintenance is so much more difficult for most people when you are actively losing weight, even though it's costing you much more deeply physiologically, um, you know, based things like the, you're in the calorie deficit, your, your dopamine is decreasing, things like that. Um, all of a sudden you realize that those extrinsic goals that date on the calendar or that active process of, of working and, and exploring like that, that is the, the excitement part that pushes us. And then when it's not as imminent, it becomes harder because now other parts of life crash in. And so you going all the way back to the fact that the dopaminergic mesolimbic reward system is not only, you know, kind of halfway between our executive neocortex and the limbic system, but also has branches into the hippocampus memory and all that shows that you really do have to focus on that identity change. These are my new parameters. This is what I will allow. This is what I won't allow. It's part of my internal emotional value system. It's no it has to move from that hardcore external goal like I'm doing this, I've invested time and money and resources into it's just who I am. And that's that is a hard switch and it does take mm -hmm. time and it takes neuroplasticity. But it is the only way to successful long-term progress. And obviously, you haven't gained 50 pounds and, or anything, you know, that makes you feel like, wow, I'm back where I started. It's just a matter of, you know, hey, I, I want to be the best version of myself. I would love to be lean and ripped and all of this all the time, yeah. but I can't quite stay there. And so, you know. A lot, of, a lot of things go into that, but it's it's finding the that that range where all of your goals are being met. You know, social goals, relational goals, family goals. Exactly, and then I, I feel like is it something that having a coach to keep me accountable is that something that I'm gonna always, you know, need that in my life because I don't. I feel like will I not ever be ready to just be fine on my own? that's kind of just always in the back of my head. Like here I am, you know, I'm like 20 pounds heavier. I'm still fit. I'm still eating healthy, but could I be leaner? Yes. So I, I tell myself like, I need to have that coach that's holding me accountable always. Well, think of, think of the language from some of these studies, like autonomous self-regulation, auto-regulation, I, I I think you having a coach forever would be a negative thing. I think you having a coach from time to time for little touch-ups and new goals and that kind of thing could be helpful. But more than anything, having the support structure 
Um, yeah, mm-hmm. a, a story I told in our Mind Muscle Connection podcast yesterday with uh, Tyler Weeb that, that bears being told again. Uh, I was watching a podcast with two comedians, and one of them is a lifelong guy who's had a lot of emotional trauma growing up, just really, really tough childhood. And he's gone through therapy and he continues to work on personal development. And it's just, he, it's just great. He's, he's a, he's a super successful came from nothing, you know, mega star right now. And he has nothing in the, there's nothing that he lacks in terms of his material success. And yet at the end of this podcast, two comedians talking, a caller gave them this weird prompt. It was, it was kind of, interesting a, a caller said hey I, I love you guys both you're two of my favorite comedians outside of comedy if you could compliment each other like what would it be what do you like about each other kind of like a straw man like give or steel man give somebody the you know the good things and the the guy who was the guest he starts saying you know what i like about this guy you know what i like about you you are so real and you are so authentic and you're not afraid to put things out there and you matter i know you're i know what you've gone through and you freaking matter to people you make people laugh you're important to people and and the comedian i mean he just starts crying and so on this podcast on his own podcast he's weeping and his friend says, I'm glad you're crying because you need to feel this. You need to feel how important you are. And I'm like, that was such an incredible picture of positive support. Like, you don't always need a coach, Amanda. We all need people like that to remind us that what we're doing is good enough. Where we've come from is amazing. You know, the things that are strengths of ours are, are good for other people. So don't always think you have to be on your A game and be achieving excellence. It's, you know, sometimes where you are is good enough and you just need to reframe going back to this study. They talked about, you know, the, the last category in that motivational group was identity restructuring. Be okay with where you are. If, if it's a healthy spot, you know, I mean, and clearly you're in a healthy spot and just realize that that's, Good. You can always reach for a little better here and there, but don't forget to be happy where you are. Thank you. You are welcome. Any, any, and glad you're here. It's amazing to see. I know it's tough for you to get on these calls over there, but happy to see you. I'm going to try to get, get on more, make, make more time for myself. All right. That would be good. All right. You guys all, uh, anybody, any other thoughts or comments, Becky, Charles, anybody? You know, I'm not not forcing you to jump on, but happy to see you well, guys. Well, you 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 uh, kind of ended in such a high note. I, I think I think it might be good to leave it there. To be honest, <laughs> I, anything I can say will just kind of mess up the the mood. <laughs> well, good, good to see you, man. I, I appreciate it, Charles. Good to have you back as always. You too. Appreciate all of you too. All right. Well, I will I will definitely let you guys get off to your weekends here then, and I'll see you either next Monday on our client live support or Friday, but uh, appreciate you guys being here and I'll see you then.